this morning. Uh, if you are uh, uh, visiting with us, maybe you're not a church person, we're really glad you're here. Hopefully, uh, you know, you enjoy uh, this morning um, with us. You're welcome anytime. Uh, and if you're, you know, it didn't feel like you could make it this morning, it was too hot or whatever, and you're listening online from your air-conditioned car right now, we are glad that uh, you're taking some time just to put God's Word in your heart and uh, uh, join along with us. So I just got a note here. Oh, this is from the people from last night. Uh, there were some tears last night, so they gave me a Kleenex box with a note that said, just in case. So I'm hoping I, <laughs> hoping I don't need that this, uh, this morning, but um, we'll just see. Uh, uh, this, this past number of weeks, we've been in a series talking about the heart. If you weren't here, you can find all those online. Thanks to Chris Stone. He puts those up every week, and it's been a blessing to people all over. So thank you uh, for doing that, Chris. Uh, and we've been talking about the heart. In week one, we just talked about that God's heart is for you. You know, if he's going to give his son for you, you can just trust that God is for you, uh, no matter what. Week two, we said that God's looking at our hearts, and so should we. And that kind of really hit me, because looking at my heart and, and asking God, God, show me what's really in there, that, that's not always an easy thing. And sometimes sometimes there's stuff that gets uh, stirred up in there that, that he wants to deal with, and uh, it's for our good. And last week, we talked about one of those things in my life, is that sometimes we trust other people too much, and we don't trust him enough. And for many of you this week, you know, texting me and letting me know, uh, hey, thanks for sharing that, that I don't got this. That every time we think, hey, we got this, we got this, it just turns out uh, in, in emptiness. And so I don't have time to speak on all that again this morning, but you can find that one online. And if you missed all of them, that would be the one I would encourage you to, uh, to check out. And so this morning, I want to continue just talking about the heart because uh, it is just absolutely incredibly important to the way our lives are lived is this thing called the heart. I was reminded uh, of, a, of this event that happened in my life a number of years ago. Um, my mom, a good Dutch woman, had five children, and uh, she was a champ. She would take us all grocery shopping when we were little. Uh, and if you can just picture that, you know, Dutch woman in the grocery store, five little hellions trying to keep them all contained. Some of you are living that right now. Back then, there was one in the buggy, one on a leash, which I don't think you're allowed to do anymore, but my, but my brother Len was always tied to a leash so he wouldn't run away. Then my sister, who was terrified of everything, she would never go anywhere more than a few feet away from mom. And then there was me, the good son, the eldest, you know, I'm just going to be there because I'm the good child. And then there's my brother Derek, second born, you know, he's like everything, well, not everything opposite of me, but he's the one, you know, who's like wandering off, hey, I want to buy this and wandering through the store all on his own. Well, uh, I remember the moment watching when we we're like realizing, wait, there's only four. Where's Derek? And uh, and and they're kind of looking around, and and then all of a sudden we see we see him, and he sees us, and you can see the terror in his eyes. Like he thought that he was gonna have to live in that grocery store. And he's like the his, his eyes, he sees it, and all of a sudden that moment where he sees mom, and he just runs up to her, and he grabs her around the leg, and he just vigorously hugs her leg, and says, "Oh, I'm so glad I found you. I was lost." And she looks down with loving eyes and he looks up to realize that it is not his mom it's another lady on the other end of the other end of the aisle that we just got to watch and I mean you laugh but he was only 15 you've got to give him some uh, some grace but but uh, you, you, you know have you ever been in that moment where you're lost you know and you remember what it feels like to feel lost uh maybe you remember that moment where you're like oh the lights came on it's like you, you see some some uh, help in sight, and maybe for maybe for you, you know that that's been the challenge for me uh, over the last little bit is to 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 remember what it feels like to to feel lost, and and uh, maybe for you that's that's different. Maybe maybe you're you know in a in a crisis of like I don't know where my next paycheck's coming from. I don't know where to get a job. I don't even know where to start, and you feel lost. 
Maybe it's relationships. You're like, you know, my marriage is in so much trouble. I've got so much water under the bridge. I don't even know where to start, and I, and I feel lost. Maybe you're sitting in school, and you've got that test you didn't study for, and you're just like, oh, I just feel lost, or like, I don't know where to go career-wise. I just feel lost. You know, have you ever felt lost? Yeah. Have you ever been in that spot where you're like, you need directions, and you just, you have no idea where to go? Maybe you're like this guy, and all the men are like, nope. Never, never me, but lost. Lost feels a certain way, and uh, this morning, I really feel like I'm preaching to me. That's why there was tears last night, and I, I honestly feel that what God's doing in my heart, I actually just need to hear it over and over and over, even if it's coming from my own lips, and so my heart just is open to him this morning as well, and so this week, uh, and many of you would have followed along, there's a story that's been gripping the world. Uh, it's been in every newspaper, on every website. You see it all over, but it's not just gripped the world. It's gripped my heart in a, in a really powerful way. On June 23rd, not too long ago, you know the story of the 12 boys, a little soccer team that uh, ended up with their coach, uh, decided that after their practice, they were going to explore that cave in Thailand. And they had, um, they had only meant to spend one hour there. They were actually celebrating a birthday of one of their teammates. He had just turned 17 that day. And so they had had some, some uh, birthday snacks along with them, and they, but they left their backpacks and left their sandals a, you know, a little ways in and continued to hike into this cave. But what they didn't know and, and they had no idea that just a few kilometers away, it was raining, and not just raining, raining hard. It wasn't raining where they were, but a few kilometers away, it was raining four inches an hour. And as they kind of got into the cave, and as they were coming on their way out, they saw the water coming in and realized, we're not getting out. We've got to go further in. And so they, they ran further in and uh, began climbing to the highest place that they could find. And it's, you know, as they, they were, uh, as the lights got dimmer and dimmer, they kind of lost uh, any sense of where they were. They began feeling the walls to feel if there was somewhere where maybe they could find safety. And so they were pressing so hard on those walls that in, in one spot, they actually were able to press uh, through that and found this spot. And so they used rocks to dig their way through there to climb up to this sandy little outcropping where they would sit and the water just rose to the, to the, to the area where they were, but they were, they were safe for now, and they dug into that spot, and that's where they sat. Thirteen of them huddled together in the darkness, and they waited. They waited. They're waiting for help that they don't know is coming. You know, they're waiting in complete darkness, and they're waiting for a miracle. And to read those stories last Sunday, we, it was, uh, it was the, the, the rescue mission, the rescue operation was happening as we were here uh, spending time uh, together here as a church family. But I was so challenged by that story. And, and I watched a movie and I read a book recently, which I don't ever do, uh, but uh, I read a book and the message just so, so challenged me. Uh, and so I, I've been, again, in this spot of thinking, what does it feel like to be lost? Can you picture what it must feel like to sit in a cave for 10 days, complete darkness, not knowing if there's ever going to be hope, if there's ever going to be a light. And I, you know, uh, the Bible talks about lost in a different way. It talks about things, uh, uh, lost people, people that are lost in a, in a different kind of darkness, you know, a different kind of uh, emptiness. You know, you can picture that they felt empty in that cave, but there's an emptiness all around us, loneliness, you know, uh, a despair, um, just a different kind of lost. And as I was, you know, as I think about that, you know, we, we don't kind of look around and think, oh, we, there's, there's lost people around us. We don't really think about that word. Lost doesn't seem to, to define it, you know, correctly for us. But my question, I guess, for you is, you know, people around you who feel confused, confused about life. You know, I'm not sure. Is there a purpose? Is there meaning? Am I just biology? 
Or is there more to life than this? Confused about, about God and about religion. Which one's the right one? You know, it's, these people say this is the God. These people say this is the God. And I'm, I don't know. I don't know which. I, I'm, I'm confused. I don't know which. You know, people are confused about religion, confused about sexuality. I don't know if I like boys or if I like girls. I, I don't know which one am I supposed to. Confused about gender. Am I male or am I female? I don't, I don't even really know. And ultimately it comes down to this thought that, that, that we're confused about truth in general. That in our culture, truth is just relative. Whatever you want to be true can be true. The problem is when that happens, we end up going down this spot where we're responsible for the outcomes of our life because we're the ones determining truth. And then we get to the place where we realize we're, we're not enough. And we have a whole generation being raised right now that is, has no idea what's true, not true, what you can depend on, can't depend on. And simply, I would describe them as lost. Lost. You know what it feels like to be lost. Jesus told this story in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It's a very famous story. If you went to Sunday school, you have heard it many times. And Luke, who's not a, he wasn't, a, he wasn't an eyewitness. He met with all of the eyewitnesses and said, tell me the stories of Jesus. Tell me what happened, because I want people to be able to read it and know. And here's this famous story that if you went to Sunday school as a child, you would know. And it goes like this. But if you did go to Sunday school, I, I want to encourage you that I learned something new hearing it just even in this past week. That, that I encourage you not to miss the moments or miss the point that, that, that he may want to share with you this morning. It says this in verse 1, Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. Real guy, real place. He says, there was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector of the region, and he had become very rich. The tax collectors of the region, you know, the, the, the tax collectors of Jericho, these were, these were Jewish men who had basically paid Rome for the right to collect taxes. So they'd pay the Romans saying, hey, we want to collect taxes for you. They're like, you can do that, and you can charge whatever you want. And these men would become extremely rich uh, based on just ripping off all of their own countrymen. And so they were incredibly hated, but this wasn't just a tax collector. This was the chief tax collector. This was the guy above all the other guys. You hated tax collectors. You hated him more. He became rich by ripping off other people, and he didn't have too many friends in that town. And all of a sudden, it says in verse 3, that he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he sees a crowd coming, and Zacchaeus is just a guy, we call him Zach. He's just a guy who's just doing life. He's busy. He's living his life. He's making his money. And he's just, you know, looking for the next thrill. He wants to see Jesus. He doesn't quite know what he's actually looking for, but he's looking for something. And, and, and he's, he's unaware of what he's looking for. Um, but he's, he knows that everybody's around this, this person. He sees a crowd coming into town. And we don't really picture that too often, but maybe I can help you picture it today. You know, what would it look like if Justin Bieber came to our area? It would be throngs of people surrounding him. Uh, they'd be like all around saying, yeah, don't marry her, pick me, right? You know, um, but it, do we have a picture of Justin Bieber in the crowd? We do, just so you can see that for a minute. That's okay, there. So you got Justin Bieber, uh, the crowds surround Justin Bieber. And, and the, you know, for some of you, you can hear the different responses. Some of you love him, some of you hate him. That's okay. You know, maybe that's not the Justin. So let's put the other one up, Justin Trudeau. You know, Justin Trudeau in a crowd, you know, then uh, if, if he were to show up, there's, it says he got mobbed at the Toronto Mall. Why? Because he's, he's famous. When famous people go places, there's crowds. And people hate this guy, and some people love this guy. Uh, and it was in the same with Jesus' crowd. There was people there that loved him, and there was people there that hated him, but they were all there just to see because a crowd draws a crowd, and, and so maybe you don't like any of those. We'll just go with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle because nobody can hate them. So, you know, but when there's a, when there's a crowd uh, around, this is, this is what was happening 
um, they, they, uh, Jesus is wandering through, and there's just crowds of, uh, of people, and Zach just wants to see what all the fuss is about. What's going on? What is, what is this crowd all about? Why are they around? And so in verse 4, it says this, so he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree. He knew that he could see the path that Jesus was walking, and he ran ahead. He said he knew Jesus was going to pass that way. Verse 5, it says, when Jesus came by, and I know that's not in yellow, but just remember that for a minute. When Jesus came by, in the moment when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Can you imagine that? Uh, I've read this story hundreds of times for sure. And yet, I learned something last week as I was standing in the cafe chatting with somebody who was here at our Saturday night service last week. And here's, here's the thought. Jesus came up and knew him by name. And we're like, yeah, that's cool because that's God. But Zacchaeus didn't know that. What would it be like if you're out at the, you know, uh, out in Simcoe and, and Justin Bieber's there? Everybody's kind of crowded around. He walks up and he's like, hey, Jill. No, nah, Jill's married. We've got to pick on someone else. Hey, Taylor. She's close to married, but not yet. He says, hey, Taylor. And, and, and all of a sudden it's like, what, what would be your reaction? He'd be like, how does he know my name? You know, maybe he saw that by Instagram. I was following him on Instagram. He, how does he know my name? That would be mind-blowing. You know, Justin Bieber, wa- I mean, Justin Trudeau walks in, and you're all gathered around. He's like, hey, Caleb. He's like, uh, how does he know my name? Did I not pay my taxes last year? How does he not know? How does, how does he know my name? You know, if somebody famous, you know, came to town and like, is saying, hey, I'm going to go to your house today. Justin Trudeau says, I'm going to your house. Whether you voted for him, like him or not, you're like, yeah, okay, come on over. And all your friends would be like, what, really, Justin Trudeau, I don't, whatever, I don't like that guy, or whatever I do, but I'm coming, because I want to see, like, really, he's hanging out at your house? There would be a, it's a big deal. It is a big deal, and here's what happens with Zacchaeus, as, as Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, he's like, who, me? He's like, no, the other Zacchaeus in the tree. No, of course, you. Come on down, I'm coming to your house today. He knew his name. He knew his name. And it says that Zacchaeus, when somebody famous asks you to do something, you just do it. You know, everybody's watching. Okay. So it says Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, and he took Jesus to his house. And look at his response. He's got great excitement and joy. Zacchaeus is great excitement and joy. There's like this, there's this thrill of, wow, he's coming to my house. Wow, Justin's coming over for tea. You know, Justin's coming over for scrumpets or whatever you serve at your house. You know, it's, it's, they're, they're, at your, they're at your house. There's this, this incredible excitement and joy just of having the possibility of relationship with somebody famous. But the others around, it says in verse 7, were displeased. He said he's gone to the house of a notorious sinner. And they grumbled. You know, the crowd had totally different reactions. Zacchaeus is full of great excitement. He's full of joy. He doesn't know it yet, but he's about to be rescued. He's about to see the light. The crowd is filling around. They have no idea what's actually going on in that moment either, but they're just unhappy about it. They're grumbling. They're like, why are you hanging out with him? And many of them would have known Zacchaeus and be like, That's the guy who rips us off every single time we have to pay taxes. (laughs) Jesus, what are you doing with that crook? And you know what? There's another group of people who looks and says, I don't know him personally, but tax collector, I'm just going to judge him based on the decisions that he's made. He's tax collector. He's dirty. He's rotten. He's worthless. Jesus, what are you doing with him? So either way, whether they knew his story or they didn't, they judged him the same. But here's what's pretty cool. Verse 8 says, meanwhile, While the crowd's all around, while they're grumbling, while they're complaining, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord. Zach's getting his life right with God. Something's happening in his life in that moment. 
And he was being rescued and didn't even realize it. But he said, as he came down from that tree, and he's talking to Jesus, he says, you know, I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor Lord. He says, you, that, that, that there's so much power in that thing of saying, you know, I used to trust my money, and it was my master, and that's all I was living for, but it's left me empty. It's left me lost. Jesus, you're coming into relationship with me. I'm giving, it, I'm giving it to you. You're now Lord. I'll give it away. And he says, and he says this, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, and the crowd's looking around like, if? <laughs> you, know, you know. He's like, okay, the people I cheated on my taxes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay them back four times as much. See, something's changing in his heart. He's being rescued in that moment. He's no longer lost. And Jesus then says to the crowd around, he reveals why he came to the planet in the first place. And in verse 9, he says, he responded with this, salvation has come to your house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. In verse 10, he says, this is why I came. The son of man, referring to himself, he says, Jesus, the son of man, came to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus doesn't know he's lost. He's looking for something. He doesn't know what it is, but he's lost. And Jesus said, that's why I came. You guys are all grumbling and complaining, but that's who I came for. I came for those who were lost. Jesus actually began the greatest rescue mission of all time. He had a heart for lost people, and he had the heart of a rescuer. Just, that, that's what I want to look at this morning, the heart of, for lost people and the heart of a rescuer. He came to seek. He came to look for. He came diligently to find people who were lost, and to rescue them. And he explained it over and over, all throughout. You know the story of the, the shepherd who has 100 sheep and one gets away. And what does it say? He leaves the 99. We, we even sing those words. And you're like, why do we sing that? This is why. Because he says, I left the 99. I'll go and find the one that's lost. With the father, with the prodigal son, the one who had walked away from God and is coming back. He says, my son was lost, but now he's found he said to, the, to Matthew, as Matthew's sitting around with all his tax collector buddies, and people are at the door grumbling because they always were, what's he doing with those people? And, and Jesus says to them, I, I didn't come, you know, I didn't come for people who, um, who uh, think they're healthy. He says, a doctor doesn't go, isn't, doesn't go where people are healthy, they go where they're sick. And he says, I didn't come for people who think they got it all together. I came for people who know they're lost. That's why he came. And so Jesus says, this is what it's all about. I'm on a rescue mission. You, I'm not on a popularity contest. I'm not here for the crowds. I'm here for the one. And that's the same thing this morning. He's not here because there's a crowd of people here. He's here for one, for one, for one. And he invited his disciples back then. He says, listen, come, come follow me. We're going to do something different. Let's go fish for men. Let's go find lost people. You with me? And 12 men joined him and others joined him and they would continue to do this. And he says it to you today, that this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's saying, would you join me in my rescue mission? I'm looking for lost people. Will you join me? Will you join me? And as I think about those thoughts, I, I was so challenged by this thought that Jesus loves the world, but do I? Do we? Jesus loves the world, but do I? And do we? And as I was preparing for this, I thought, man, this could come across real guilt-motivating could, especially for me, because I feel guilt-motivated a lot. And what I realized is he just said to me, Mark, this is not guilt-motivating in any way. That's the wrong motivation to have. I didn't say in John 3, 16, for God felt so guilty for the world that he created Satan, that he sent his son to rescue them. For God felt so guilty, he didn't. He says, for God so loved the world. As I thought about that, and I thought about these things, you know, the, I realized that he has the heart of a rescuer. He has a heart for lost people, but do I? Do I have a heart for lost people? Do I really have a heart uh, of a rescuer? 
was the heart of a rescuer. As I read the stories this week, I, I, I thought of some things that, that just impacted me, and I want to share them with you this morning. This, this, is, this is what inspired, this is what challenged me, and this is what I've had to think about and wrestle with inside, and I pray that you do as well. Those little boys and their soccer coach sitting on that dark ledge in that dark cave for, for nine days. Day three, the youngest one, 11 years old, starts crying because he's hungry. That's day three. Day four, day five, day six, day seven, day eight, day nine, sitting in complete darkness. And then on day 10, something happens. As they're looking, all of a sudden, they, they, they can't even believe that, it, that their mind isn't playing tricks on them. As they see through the dark, murky water, lights coming up through the water. It's the headlamps. It's the headlamps of the divers who are on their way to rescue them. You know, as they see these headlamps, they cover their eyes because they, they, they their eyes can't even handle the little bit of light that's, that, that they can see through the water. But it's these two divers right here. This is Rick Stanton and John Volenthin, two British divers. These rescuers, a couple things about the heart of a rescuer. The heart of the rescuer has to swim against the current. You know, this was the thing with these guys. In an interview, Lorna Duak of Crossroads was uh, interviewing a guy named Neil on the ground in Thailand, and she was asking them, why did it take so long to find these boys? Why did it take 10 days to find these boys? And the guy on the ground says, you know what? He says, that's not the question you should be asking. You should be asking why those divers never gave up. Why did they not give up? They had to swim against a strong current every single day in their attempt to find these boys. You know why they didn't give up? They found those handprints on the wall. They saw where those handprints were and said, they, they must be alive. We got to keep going. You know, there was powerful currents pushing them back away from where their destination was, trying to keep them away from what they were searching for. And you know what? I believe that happens in us all the time. There's currents pushing at you and pushing at us to, to, to not reach out and rescue people. The fear of what other people think is a current that's pushing against you. What will my neighbor think if I tell them that I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower? What will they think if I invite them to church? What will the kids in my school think if, if I say, hey, I'm a, you know, I, I believe that Jesus loves you? That current of saying, hey, we don't talk about that. That cultural current pushing and saying, no, no, don't stir, don't rock the boat. Just go with, go with the flow of what everyone else is doing. He's saying, no, if the heart of a rescuer says, I'm going to swim against this current no matter how hard it is. I may lose all my friends, but in the process, maybe, just maybe, they'll have the opportunity to see Jesus. That I would swim against the current. You know, the rescuers were willing to swim against the current, but they were also ready for that moment. So challenged that the heart of the rescuer is ready for that moment. This wasn't John and Rick's first dive. It wasn't that they decided, hey, uh-oh, there's kids lost in a cave. Let's go dive and find them. It actually, these guys have been preparing for years for this. They went cave diving for years in their spare time, prepping and just, you know, uh, figuring out what, what might it look like if we ever had to rescue somebody in a cave. What would that look like? I thought, man, that's what they did in their spare time. What do I do in my spare time? Netflix games on my phone, Slither.io, don't even start on it. But I was so challenged by that thought. The heart of a rescuer says, I'll be ready when the opportunity arises. I hear it so often. You know, my friend, uh, somebody asked me, you know, about God and how do we know God is real? I don't know what to tell them. I thought in my heart, am I ready to tell people when the moment arrives, when they're at that point of rescue, when Jesus is coming by in that moment for them, am I ready? Am I ready to share with them? I was a little hard on England last week. They did lose twice this week since that time. They didn't win the World Cup, but I think they won a greater victory by being the ones to discover these ten lost or these twelve lost boys. 
You know, the, the thought of being rescuers and having a heart to rescue, being ready in the moment. You know what? The rescuers didn't, res- didn't, didn't value their comfort over the rescue mission. They don't value comfort over the rescue mission. This is Richard Harris. Richard Harris is an Australian doctor who uh, was on vacation in Thailand at the time. And he sat in uh, his uh, lounge chair and he heard the story about these boys. And then he heard that they were found. And he said, I can't sit here on my lounge chair while there's kids stuck somewhere in a cave. I'm a doctor and a diver. I've got to do something. So he cut his vacation short. He went to that cave and he dove in. He made the 11-hour, it's an 11-hour round trip to get into that cave and back out again. And he went there, but he didn't come right out. He sat there with them for the final three days. Day 16, day 17, and day 18, Richard, um, he sat with them. And I think, man, that's incredible. And we know his name, that he would sit with them and be the one who said, okay, these are the ones who go out first, based on their health uh, and taking care of them in that moment. But you know what? There was, other, there was four, and they didn't tell us their names, but there's four Thai Navy SEALs who also swam in and said, we're just going to sit with these boys. As they sat there, they said later that as they sat there, they realized, wait, if, if they don't get rescued, we don't get rescued either. And we'll die in this cave with these boys. You know, I think about it. How often do we just sit with the people who are lost? How often do I just sit with them, just with empathy? Not just trying to, you, you know, just to be there with them and say, what does it feel like? Just to get down to that spot, not, no advice, no nothing, but just to sit with them. How willing am I to do that? It's not comfortable. The heart of a rescuer says, I, I'm not here for comfort. I'm here for something bigger. Do I value comfort over people? I know Jesus didn't. Because I can tell you the cross wasn't comfortable for him, but he valued me and he valued you more than that and said, I will give up comfort. I'll leave the the comforts of heaven to come and rescue people, rescue lost people. You know, the rescuers, they didn't condemn these boys based on the poor choices that they had made. There were signs all over the place, and they know that every year this cave floods for five months of every year. They knew it was a season of flooding. Their parents had told them, don't go in. There's signs that said that don't go in. They, they, they were just, you know, uh, saying, hey, we're probably going to be okay. You know, the rescuers didn't think, hey, those, bo- those boys shouldn't have gone in there. You know, we're not going to risk our lives for them. They shouldn't have gone in there. They may, you know, they, they passed all those warnings. They made their bed. They can lie in it. They made their choice. You know what? Sucks to be them. The heart of a rescuer doesn't think that way. You know, and people around us are unaware. People don't know what people don't know. The people around us, they don't know what they don't know. But you know what? Nobody plans to get lost. No one plans to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to start drinking at 18, and hopefully by the time I'm 21, I'm alcoholic. I can do this. No one plans to say, you know what? Sheesh, uh, everybody else is doing it. No one's getting hurt and just having unprotected sex, and somebody's getting, you know, they're getting pregnant. Like, they should have known better. Or they have an STD, should have known better. Or they spend their way into, into, like, this incredible debt, and you look at them and like, oh, they, they should have known better. The rescuer doesn't say that. The rescuer simply realizes that they were unaware and they didn't plan to get lost, but they are. And they need to be found. It says the rescuers were willing to do whatever it took to rescue lost people. The rescuers were willing to do whatever it takes. See, there was many different people in this rescue mission. The divers get a whole lot of the credit, but there were so many others. There was the divers that went in. There was the, the divers that brought supplies. There was the hikers who were and searchers all over the mountain looking for another way in. There was the people who were running the water pumps. There was the triage team at the mouth of the cave. There was the ambulance drivers who took them from that to the hospital. There was the nurses waiting at the hospital to begin care. And there was thousands of people around praying for them. Everybody playing a part, praying to whatever God they believed in. But the heart of the rescuer does whatever's necessary. 
whatever's necessary. You know, that's the, that's the thing. Like this morning, my thought and what I believe God's doing in me is not saying, hey, Mark, go and do more. Go and do more. That's not the message of this this morning at all. He's just saying, listen, let me do something in your heart, because if I can get this, you'll do whatever it takes. To be willing to do whatever it takes. That's my prayer, that God would stir up our hearts today. That when we say, God, look in my heart, do in my heart, that he would, that he put the heart of a rescuer in me. That he would put the heart for lost people in me. That this church would not be a church that we just, we're just here because we fill seats on Sundays and we take up offerings and we got good things. There's lost people all around us. That is why we are here. That we may never forget that moment. As we think about, you know, I'll do whatever's necessary, I, you know, needing help in the cafe. It's like one thing to say, oh, I'll smile at those Dutch people taking extra brownies again this week. It's a whole lot different than saying, you know what, my friend's sister's coming here for the very first time. She doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to be there to be the smile that she sees when she first comes through that door. I'll be the greeter at the door who's smiling, not because I love showing up early, but, but there's lost people coming here. I want them to know that they, they can be found. I, I, I'll serve in kids' ministry because down there, you know, it's a, not just a whole bunch of little brats, though some of them are. It's, it's this realization that those, those are lost kids, some of them that I will do whatever it takes, that maybe, just maybe, they're going to see Jesus, that they might see the, the light for themselves, that they might know Christ for themselves. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. And this is where it just totally hit me. The power uh, of the heart of a rescuer and doing whatever it takes is, is probably displayed no greater than in this man's life. His name is Samarn Kunin. He's a Navy SEAL who was swimming down in those things. He was, his job was to deliver oxygen tanks along the way so that as the boys were coming out, they would have enough oxygen to get out. And so as he's delivering oxygen tanks, his own oxygen tank on his back ran out, and he died in that, in that uh, cave. He gave his life in an attempt to save others. And I thought that is exactly what Jesus has done for us. He gave his life. He did whatever it took to, to rescue me, to rescue you to rescue us from that spot of being lost, to say, listen, I want relationship with you. Colossians chapter 1, Paul said it this way, for he has rescued us. He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. <laughs> that darkness, he says, you know, he's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. He's purchased our freedom. He's purchased my freedom, your freedom, and he's forgiven my sin, and he's forgiven your sin. He's already done it. You know, I say that the thing is that he didn't just do it for me and he didn't just do it for you. He did it for lost people all around us. In your school, in your family, at your workplace. And you know, Jesus isn't calling us to die for him. He's just simply calling us to live for his mission and his cause. To say, Jesus, I'm a follower of you. I'm here to rescue lost people because that's what you're all about many parts, one mission to rescue those boys, and it's the same here. Many parts, many people, but one mission. One mission that he came to seek and save those who are lost. You know, they're not going to know unless someone goes. They just aren't. They aren't going to know unless someone, unless someone goes. You know, we could have had all those people around that cave say, okay, we're all just going to pray. Pray to whichever God you believe in. Hopefully, whoever it is rescues them. Somebody had to dive. Somebody had to go. Somebody had to do the next part. You know, the, Paul wrote to the Romans and said this, how can they call on him? How can lost people call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they trust in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone 
Go and tell them without being sent. That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. The rescuers know, the rescuers know that somebody's got to go. The rescuer also knows this, that they, those rescuers knew they didn't have a lot of time. They didn't have a lot of time. Powerful thought, you know, three hours after the last boy was rescued on Tuesday, three hours later as they, they were trying to get all their gear out, all of a sudden the main pump broke and the main water line burst. And water began to fill that cave like crazy. The water they'd been pumping out was now rushing in. And it says the rescuers actually began running, screaming out of that cave. The last one to come out was Richard Harris, the doctor who sat with each of those boys, was the last one out of that cave. They've left all their equipment in there. They will go find it in five months from now when the water finally goes down. They just realize we don't have a lot of time. And I was so challenged by that this week. A friend of mine called me and said, hey, Mark, I want to go to the hospital to visit a friend. I don't know if he, he knows the Lord. He doesn't, I, but I want to go and pray with him. He says, what, give me some advice. And we prayed together on the phone, and he went. And he called me later, and just to say, listen, you know, I went, but I ran out of time. He wasn't responsive anymore. You know, we don't know how much time people around us have. We don't know how much time we have. But I know that we're running out of time. And that's something that just, I think wrecks my heart to realize that I don't think like that every single day. When I say, God, look into my heart, he's like, this is what I see. This is what I see. You know, after saying all of that, the heart of a rescuer knows that in the end, it's all worth it. It is all worth it. You ask anyone if it was worth the millions of dollars and the thousands of hours to rescue those 12 boys, you ask anyone around the planet, and they will say, yes. Why? Because it's these 12 boys each one individual, each one with a future, a family, a hope, dreams, desires, each and every one of them was worth it. Would you agree? There's no difference between them and lost people all around us. Each and every one of them is worth it. Regardless of the choices they made, regardless of how they got to a place of feeling lost, they're worth it. Jesus said it's worth it enough. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, the chance to reconnect with lost people. And you know what? We know the stories. We hear the stories of these guys being rescued and the shouts and the cheers across, the, across the, 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 their country and the world when they came out of the cave uh, on that first uh, on Sunday morning. Incredible, incredible joy. But you know what? Those stories are here too. You know the story we just read of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, we know as we read that his life was changed that day. That he was rescued that day. Actually, uh, a couple hundred years later, the church fathers write about the history of the church. And they say that Zacchaeus actually was the first bishop, which that's what they called their pastors back then, of a place in, in Caesarea, Palestina. He was the first pastor there. Huh, why? Because his life changed. But you know what? You saw it not too long ago. The baptisms. Sarah. Just wave for a minute. I know you don't want to be centered out. Sarah got baptized said, you know, she shared in her story just about a friend who had invited her to camp and where she experienced God being real for the very first time. And was it worth it? Bet you it was worth it. It was worth it for sure. I think about, you know, Rick, you know, the saying, hey, I'm going <laughs> to live my life for him. Was it worth it? Oh, it's worth it. You see, you know, uh, Hannah and Chris, who both said, hey, Jeff and Judy were the ones who invited me to church. Was it worth it? It was worth it. It was worth it, the stories of people's lives being changed. Next week, you'll hear stories of people here who God rescued them. And was it worth it? 
yeah, it was worth it. You know, in that interview, in that interview that Lauren Duick had with Neil, he said this at the very end of the interview. I just want to read it for you. He says, we, he knew these boys. He's, not, he's, he's lived in Thailand for 30 years. He's lived in that area. He knew this, these boys. But he said, this, this is what he said. The people in that town, this is how they felt. He says, they were shocked at the whole country. That the first, the whole country, and then Europe, and then America, and then nations all around the world took an interest in 13 people they didn't know the names of the day before. It was just one small tragedy in one big world. But suddenly the whole world stepped in and said, this is one particular tragedy that we can prevent. And that is exactly what they did. That just gripped my heart. That one lost person around us is a tragedy. That as a church, as a rescue mission, we've been called with the opportunity to prevent one, less tra- one more tragedy from happening. That one person, the value of one person whether it's those 12 who we didn't know their names or the ones that we saw baptized and now we, we know their names, the ones who we, yet, we don't know their name yet. The value of one person, and maybe you're the one person sitting here this morning, the value of one person, one story. How incredible. You know, we might not be able to save them all, but I pray that we will be able to save at least one, at least one more. You know, I watched a movie. I can't recommend watching it. It's a little gory. Mel Gibson directed it. It's called Hacksaw Ridge. The movie of Hacksaw Ridge is the true story of a guy named Desmond Doss. And Desmond Doss was a medic who, because of his faith, said, I won't carry a gun. I will not shoot somebody, but I will go fight for my country. I'll be a medic. And as they went to the Battle of Okinawa in Japan, there's this place that they call Hacksaw Ridge. But Okinawa is this, is this cliff face that they had been trying to capture multiple times. Platoons had gone before them and had been obliterated on the top as soon as they got there. They'd have to climb this 300-foot cliff wall uh, on a rope ladder, and then at the top, they, they would try and fight to take that, take that ground. Well, as they got to the top, he says him and his 150, the men in his platoon got to the top, and within seconds, 75 of them were dead. And the rest were being shot left, right, and center. And he was the medic, the one running to just try and help whoever he could. Well, it said when he heard, retreat, retreat, they all ran back, as many as could, back to the line. And a few of them were able to go back down. And as, as, as Desmond was about to go down the rope ladder, he heard someone crying out, help, help. Desmond ran to that one person and dragged him to the edge and lowered him down on a rope. And as he lowered him down, he was about to go down himself, and he heard another, help, help. And so he ran out to that person. He carried him there. And it says after the first 15 men that he carried to the edge, he laid there on the edge of that cliff. And he was like, he was so tired, exhausted. And then he began to pray. He said, God, help me save just one more. Help me save just one more. And he went and brought one more. And then he went and brought one more. And then he went and brought one more. And when he finally didn't hear anybody calling for help anymore, he went down to the ground to find that 75 men had been rescued single-handedly by him because he prayed, Lord, let me save one more. prayer of my heart, that we might reach one more, one more friend, one more brother, one more spouse, more lost person. I can tell you, you don't have to go very far do that. 
for the followers of Jesus listening today, I have just two closing thoughts. Followers of Jesus today, you don't have to go very far to be a rescuer. I don't read a lot of books, but my friends recommended this one, and I read it. It's called The Sun Does Shine. This book, this book called The Sun Does Shine is the true story of Anthony Ray Hinton. We'll call him Ray. Ray Hinton was convicted, wrongfully convicted of two murders. Because he was black in a white trial with a white judge, a white jury, he was convicted to the, to, for, uh, and given the death penalty. So he was sent to Alabama and sat on death row in Alabama for three years. In those three years, he was bitter and angry at God for the fact that, God, I went to church and I prayed, and here I am, wrongfully convicted, sitting on death row, just waiting for my day to die. He was so angry. He tossed his Bible under his bed on day one. Three years later, he dug that Bible out as he was sitting there, and he realized, if I'm here and God is still with me, then maybe I'm here for a reason. And he began to talk to the other people, all the other inmates on death row, and as they would walk past his cell and just go a couple feet to the electric chair, he says, I could smell them burning when they died. He said, I didn't want them to know they were alone. And he says, he began to share. He said, I just wanted to be a light in my cell to whoever I could in that row. And for year after year after year, he would allow his light to simply shine on other people. Well, he spent 27 years wrongfully convicted, sitting on death row, and he was just let released uh, in 2015. But he said, in all that time, 58 people walked past his cell and hundreds of others around him just simply saying, uh, offering hope, the hope that he had. And you know what? He just said, I just want to be a light that shines in the darkness wherever it may be. And you know what? Just the same way as those lights coming out of the water for those boys in Thailand and the light in a jail cell on death row, you've been called to be the light of the world wherever you are. That you would shine, that people would see Christ, that they would see hope coming. And so my prayer this morning is simply this. I'm not telling you what to do. My prayer is that you would join me and pray, God, would you do something in our hearts? Because when he does something here, we'll do whatever it takes. Would you do something in my heart? And if you, I, I don't really ask for this ever, but as your pastor, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I'm just the leader. Would you pray for me? Because I know Oh, that I need this. Would you pray that God would do in my heart what's necessary for this church and for those around us, that he would do here what's needed? Would you pray for us? Would you pray for the leaders of this church that we wouldn't forget that that's the reason why we exist as a church, that we would not be distracted? Would you really, would you pray for us? Would you pray that this church would be a light that shines and that we would be a part of the rescue mission? That means praying for all those around you. God, would you do in our hearts what we can't do, we cannot do that, but he can. It says in Romans that the Holy Spirit sheds his love abroad in our hearts. That same, same type of love. Would you do that? And for those here this morning who are not followers of Jesus, and you're like, what was this all about? I'm just really glad you're here. We have been praying for you. Maybe you used to follow Christ and you've walked away. Maybe you think God's, you know, he's, he's done you wrong. You just, something happened and, and, and you've walked away, but you, you feel like I described. You just feel empty. You feel dark. You feel confused. If you'd say, yeah, I just feel lost. Maybe you came this morning just to see if God was real. Maybe you were like Zacchaeus. I'm just looking. Why are they going there? What's the crowd all about? He's not looking through the crowd, at the crowd. He's looking at you. He's looking at you and saying, would you come back? I want to hang out with you. I want a relationship with you. Would you come back? He knows you're here. He knows your name. 
knows your name. He wants relationship with you. And I know this feels uncomfortable, but God really care. I pray and hope and hope that you might experience salvation today. That you would know that whatever you've got in your past, he says, I will forgive that. Come follow me. Come follow me. He's not calling you to follow a bunch of rules. He just wants you to follow a person named Jesus. Romans 10, I leave you with this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and if you'll trust him with your heart, because that's what it's all about. I don't have to believe all the right things. It's not what he's asking. Would you just trust him with your heart? Trust him with your all. That God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Because it's by believing, it's by trusting in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. Are you ready to do that today? If you are this morning, I would ask you to come and talk to me afterwards. We'll have others up here. If you're a woman and would rather talk to a woman, we have others who would love to just pray with you. That famous hymn that said this, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. I once was, but now I'm found. Pray that's true for you this morning. We pray. Father, I'm my best to do what, to communicate what you're putting on my heart. But God, I pray again and beg that you would do in me what needs to be done that lost people would be found as a result. Father, I pray that you burn in our hearts, your heart. Consume us with your heart for lost people. Consume us with the heart of rescuers. Father, we would do whatever it takes. Father, thank you for this church, this amazing, wonderful group of people. Thank you for them. Thank you for their heart for you and for others. Pray as we go from this place that we would realize we're not leaving you behind at all, but you're the light that shines in us and through us and that you would shine through us in our world around. May they see you, Jesus. May they see you. Father, thank you for this morning. Thanks for the chance to be able to do this together, to encourage one another. God, I pray that, uh, that as we leave this place, Holy Spirit, that you would just cause these seeds to grow in us, that we would become exactly who you desire us to be, what you paid for. Thank you. Love you. Love you. Thank you for loving me. In your name I pray. Amen.